Hello and welcome to a China Cup review special of the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. I'm here as usual with Ruth. Hello. We've obviously got a lot to talk about today, so we'll dive straight into it. Obviously, overall, it was a, a successful tournament. I think it's I think it's fair to say. I'll start off with how you thought we set up in in both the games. Personally, I was a little bit surprised that it was the same tactical setup anyway that we had with Coleman. Yeah, I was I was surprised with the basic sort of 5-2-2-1 formation that we certainly had in the first game. Um, he did seem to switch a, things up a little bit at times during the Uruguay game, which we might want to come back to. Yeah. But yeah, I was two things I was most fundamentally surprised by was the quality of the team we put out against China and and I've got some thoughts about that but also the the basic formation being uh five at the back I agree with you regards to how we set up uh with our five at the back three in an attacking sense and then our holding two holding midfielders what I thought was interesting in the China game is that Bale and Wilson pretty much had no defensive responsibilities whatsoever and they're pretty much their sole role was just to attack uh, and kind of be around Sam Folks and kind of support him and I thought they did that really well and that was something that we didn't do in the Coleman era there was always something asked coming the other way of people like Bale and you know our other attacking players as well the only person who was often left to stay up front would be the the number nine uh, and in this instance they kind of got around Vokes a lot easier and a lot quicker so it was a definite kind of tactical switch there, even if the, the numbers, if you like, that we set up with were exactly the same. And it worked spectacularly well. I think we were super clinical um, and we played to our strengths really, really well against China. But is that as much a reflection on the quality of the def- opposition's defence as our intentions? I mean, there wasn't need for Wilson or Bale to be checking back really i'm not sure if that's necessarily a a reflection of what we want to do as opposed to what we could do i think the difference for me especially when we come on to the uruguay game which we'll talk about after i think the difference for me there is gigs realized the team we were playing against and set up in a way that would damage them the most if wilson had been asked to do more defensive stuff we probably still would have won the game, but we set up in a way that exploited our strengths and we and we really did use that. We really did exploit them. And I'd like to think, anyway, given that there was a tactical change for the second game, the gigs realised that China weren't very good and the best way to exploit them was what exactly what he did. And I think if you think back to, um, let's say, like the Georgia and Moldova games, especially the two away games, we set up in the same way that we always do and hoped that we'd get a goal. And in the end, don't get me wrong, it worked. The point is, is that we went out in a way that exploited our strengths and exploited their weaknesses. And I thought that was a very sure tactical plan, which was a tweak to what we'd done recently in the same system, and it completely and utterly worked. Okay, yeah, I can I can see your reasoning there. Because my, and I say that, it's, it's safe in the knowledge that he did change it for the Uruguay game as well. He didn't just try and do the same thing again. He did make a tweak for that, which makes me think he knew exactly what he was doing to kind of exploit um, their setup. I think for the Chinese, the thing that 
I found bizarre was they set up with this very high line trying to condense the game and then we broke their offside trap you know three or four times quite early on and they kept playing the same way kept playing the same way and it made me think like I it was just it was just bizarre to me that they kept playing the same way so I do think at a point the quality of the opposition does come into it because they didn't react to what we were doing but equally I would say that's more the manager Lippy's fault than it is the quality of the opposition, so to speak. I, I think it might be a bit of both, might it? it? Might be what he feels he can coach the team into, what he feels he can get them to deliver uh, regularly, and perhaps, perhaps he's become too wedded to that. But equally, didn't want to start changing systems on them either. No, perhaps. I, I think, regardless. I think Giggs showed good tactical awareness in the way we set up for that. And it worked really, really well. And I think we should be... You can you can mention the quality of the opposition, which I think is fair, but you've still got to beat them. Moldova are a rubbish team, and we just about scraped by them. Um, and everyone was saying that was a fantastic win. Well, it, it kind of goes both ways. This is also a fantastic and very convincing win, and I think it deserves the same sort of plaudits, albeit being in a friendly game, to score six goals at international level. I think I read somewhere the last time Wales scored six goals in a game was like 1993 against San Marino. You know, the 50, you know, what is that, 25 years? That's a that's a long time to go scoring without scoring six goals. So it just goes to show how hard it is for a team like Wales to do that. And I think as a consequence, there should be credit given to that. While we're talking about the China game, what did you feel about the actual effectively putting out a, a first team. I mean, clearly there's, there's some people missing through injury. Because um, I know when we've been discussing in the podcast prior, I, I think we and a lot of people thought it was an opportunity to have a slightly more um, experimental team out there. What were your thoughts on that? I thought that it's a bit of a strange one in that it was a bit of an experimental team by accident rather than design given the players who were missing I was surprised to see Chris Gunter play but if I'm being perfectly honest probably he was the only one who I was surprised to see start um I don't think it makes sense for Giggs to pick Ashley Williams as his captain or keep Ashley Williams as his captain and then not start him in his first game Joe Allen, Ben Davis, Gareth Bell have made the trip. It makes sense for them to then play as a consequence. Um, I think the people around them then, I was surprised that Wilson started over Woodburn, given that he's been playing for us more and more recently, but it turned out to be a great decision. I suppose he had to make the choice at left-back, and again, I was a bit surprised that Declan John got it, rather than putting Ben Davis there and putting someone like Mepham or Lockyer at centre-half, but... He still, again, kind of picked someone who hasn't played for a while and they did a very good job. So I think that whilst it, was a exper- you know, it wasn't particularly experimental, I think there were sections of it that were experimental. I think it was important to him to get a first win as well as blood some players who haven't played for a while, like Wilson and like Declan John, who, especially in the China game, both came in and did very, very well. I wonder whether he basically knew what he wanted for the Uruguay game and just felt that he couldn't go into the Uruguay game having not had that team sort of 
under his control in the in the formation that he wanted going up against a team like Uruguay and so he he almost treated the China game as the kind of like the first half of a game with Uruguay um, and and thus needed to set them up the same way I think that's a very interesting point actually I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way I think I think there's possibly an element of that to it I think a big part of what Giggs said in the build-up was that he wanted to have a winning mentality and it's a tournament, we've got to go there to win it. And I think he was very keen to kind of put his stamp on that, that that could well happen uh, and that should happen and he's capable of delivering it. So maybe, maybe you know, you're probably right in that sense, I guess, that he he did that knowing he wanted to play a certain way against Uruguay and he wanted those players to play together and, and, and embed together. So they were used to playing together in that system when the when the second game came around. I think it's a good point. It does say something about his approach with Wilson though, doesn't it? That if that was the case, then Wilson was always ahead of Woodburn. I think, yeah. I mean, Wilson certainly came onto the scene before Woodburn did, but obviously without getting regular game time at Liverpool without a loan deal to go anywhere, he's kind of not achieved much. Whereas now he has got his loan move and is playing exceptionally well at Hull, is making a difference to their year, he's straight into the team and what a difference. I thought in the first game, I know Bale got the hat-trick, so you kind of have to give him the man of the match um, award. I don't, think, I don't think he was our man of the match, I think Wilson was. That I, I, and that's what I was going to say, I totally agree with you, I, I, think, I think Wilson was. As much for the change in performance that we've seen from him since the last time he played and you know what a performance he set up a couple of goals he was instrumental in everything attacking that went on his final delivery i thought in both games to be fair especially from set pieces and corners and stuff i thought was brilliant yeah well, i mean i think we'll come to that in the uruguay game in particular but i agree about his his set piece delivery ball in yesterday's game in particular was great obviously declan john contributed massively I have not watched a huge amount of Scottish football, but I, I I appreciate that he has been playing well, deserved to be back in the in the squad, and what an impact he made on that left hand side. Yeah, I mean, I think Neil Taylor is uh, might be a bit worried about his his spot there because I I think I think John certainly made us made a a case for if we're going for the five at the back or that, you know, the wing back approach. Um, I mean, I've still got questions about that not actually being Ben Davies's role, but assuming that you're pulling Williams and Chester and Davies into the middle, then I think Declan John definitely made a case for having that left wing wing back role. Speaking of Ben Davies, I I wanted to talk about this after, but you've mentioned it there, so I'll I'll go with it. Um, There's a part of me that does think accidentally... Giggs has had to make a decision there, which is not necessarily the best one, in that Neil Taylor's not playing regularly for Aston Villa. It is championship-level football as well, so it is kind of a, a step down from others around him to, to, in, in, to an extent. I know that people like Jazz Richards have occupied that left-wing-back role before. He wasn't in the squad. Do we think that maybe, through a lack of competition for that particular spot, he has to play... Ben Davis as a central defender, even if it's not his strongest position, just because 
he's better off playing Ben Davis out of position in the middle than he is putting Ben in his most preferred role and then having someone with even less experience, Mepham or Lockyer, for example, who then come in and have to play centre-half. Yeah, I think at the minute, particularly when you consider that the debate about where Ampadu should be playing, and obviously that all of that's on hold a little bit at the minute with his ankle injury anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you see, I wonder whether what he's looking at is we're looking a little bit ahead to what happened in the Uruguay game now where we where we seem to switch a li- little bit between a five and a four and I, ge- I guess we'll come back to that but yeah. speaking about Ben Davis I wonder whether there may be a case for if you have if you end up with a situation where you want two in the in the centre backs it's actually Davis and Chester as Williams is phased out uh, knowing that you've got reliable other options at left wing back not as adventurous as Davies but as you say because we've got less choice in central defense maybe it's a de facto decision that Davies is is you know on that left hand side of the central back pair no I, I think that's I think that's a good the good call and I think probably is the most realistic option if you like and obviously it was a decision that Giggs had to make and, and has made. And I think you're right. I don't think he sort of does really have many other options, especially as we're looking at, in reality, kind of fading Ashley Williams out. Again, fading is a, an interesting use of words there because I, I do feel he is on the on the fade. I, again, I want to come back to Ashley Williams as a wider, mm. as a wider conversation yeah. afterwards. Moving on to the Uruguay game. I was a little bit surprised, again, that we set up in the same way, or what appeared to be the same way. But I did think it was an interesting tactical switch that he showed, depending on who had the ball. Like, Declan John was almost playing on the left side of... Well, almost. He was playing on the left side of midfield. And I think, to some extent, that kind of worked well. And some extents didn't work well at all. And I think the reason for that wasn't, however, the tactical decision... Um, from what I could see of it, Ashley Williams was kind of told to, to to kind of stick to Suarez a little bit, and any time he did and pushed out a defence, Ben Davies would cover in alongside him, and, and Declan John would cover in at left back. And sometimes it worked, but sometimes if we'd lost the ball in transition and the ball went quickly to Suarez, Declan John was a little bit out of position. And again, I don't think that was his fault particularly. Um, because he'd been a, been attacking on one hand and then instantly has to be expected to be back on the other hand. And that didn't always work. And I think a big part of that was Ashley Williams's indecisiveness to kind of follow Suarez and kind of control the line around him as a consequence. I felt like Ben Davis sometimes was kind of caught in two minds as to whether he should be staying out at left back or whether he should be tucking in to be a central defender um, and I felt I felt like the system is an interesting one if it's something we're going to use in the future. And I like the way it, I like the idea, I like the logic, but I, I do feel like there was an indecisiveness on Ashley Williams's part. And I'm sorry to say this because I know how much you love him, but also Chris Gunter. I thought Chris Gunter stayed loyal to that right wing, <laughs> to, the, to the right touchline throughout the game. And at times when we kind of looked like we needed to shuffle across and reorganise a bit, Gunter didn't seem to kind of be able to do that I, th- I thought and I thought that Chester kind of had to come across and help Gunter out a few times and I, and I felt as a consequence our back line just looked like they weren't 
used to the system that that was being asked to play with them a little bit, which is understandable again, given it was just a couple of days worth of training. But I did very much like the tactical setup against Uruguay and the um, the way that the players were expected to adapt and move and and what have you as the game went on, which I really liked. I did think I'm not sure that Declan John was then necessarily the right person to do that particular role, but again. We'll we'll come back to that. How did what did you think about the way that the, the game started and how we set up? Yeah, I was. I mean, earlier this morning, I was reading a a very brief part of the interview that Giggs gave post game yesterday, and he was actually talking about switching consciously switching between a, a five and a and a four at the back. Now, whether as you say, whether Declan John is the right person to have that sort of roving role I think only time may tell with that if this is something we want to commit to and persevere with but I do think it left shall we say the regular back four of Gunter, Williams, Chester and Davies switching between those two formats probably a bit too much a bit too ambitious considering who they were playing against you know, to introduce something where you've got to be on your your toes and that, and so much more conscious of where the rest of the back line are and where the ball is and what the play is doing whilst you're watching Suarez and Cavani. I think that, although I don't disagree with it as a premise, I think it might have been just a step too much in that context yesterday. Do you not think, though, that it was probably a better time to do it in a game that, to all intents and purposes, didn't matter, ahead of... I, yeah, I don't, I, don't dis- I don't disagree with that, Dave. What I'm saying is I think we have to, if we want to go forward with it, you have to d- judge it in that context. of You're putting in a new system with a new left wing back against probably amongst the, the world's best front pair. And so let's not... If we want to do this, let's persevere. Let's commit to it and do it. If this is how we want to go forward, let's not just say, okay, so it didn't work against Uruguay. No, I agree. And I think it's credit to Giggs that he did want to go for it in this in this way and in this game against, as you say, two of the most threatening strike partnerships in the world. Um, and I think you also have to give credit to him and the defence, Ashley Williams included, that we did only concede one goal. I think that the fact we only conceded one goal was a huge part of luck as much as anything else in that the fact that Suarez missed two open goals, pretty much. But we did only concede one, and it, whilst it wasn't perfect, considering he's only had a few days of, of training with the players to embed them in this system, and the fact that it was relatively successful, if not perfect, I do think he does, again, deserve some sort of credit for that. Do you think Declan John is the right person if we're if we're having a a slightly more roving person at the back? I think it there's a there's so many ifs and buts to answer that question. Ultimately, what I would like to see, and I've been back and forth and back and forth in the short term. I don't think he has to be, but he sort of needs to be only because I don't see Giggs phasing out Ashley Williams. Certainly not ahead of. The Nations League and the European qualifiers, I just don't see that happening. So as a consequence, what I would like to see, given that we do have at least have options in central midfield, 
or in midfield in general is I think I would probably prefer to see Ben Davis do that role and Ampadu when he's fit play as a centre half in the three and I think he would be the sort of person who say we were going to play against the Uruguay and you had one person to follow a Suarez wherever they went then I would probably let Ampadu do that given his speed and agility and stuff like that which I know is a big ask of a young player but looking, I mean looking ahead in the future he's the sort of person I could see who would do that and be able to break out of defence with the ball a little bit better and that I think in it, in turn would let Ben Davis use his strengths a lot more efficiently I think but I'm aware of the fact that obviously Ashley Williams isn't going to change Ampadu isn't fit um, and as a consequence Declan John's our only option there so I think in the short term I think he probably is the person who's going to do it but in the long term I would like to see Ben Davis there because I do think we are taking a lot away from his game when he is one of the best players in the Premier League in the role that he's playing yeah I agree I think I think the thing that I thought was interesting about the second game in a in a negative way towards Giggs was a sort of long ball football. We we sort of pressed at times and didn't press and and it kind of worked sometimes it kind of worked and it kind of didn't work others. However, I thought that the plan of kind of getting the ball to Vokes quickly and getting him to hold the ball up and getting Wilson and Bale involved around him was so obviously not working so early on in the game. I was surprised that we kind of persisted with it because Coates, who was marking Vokes, did not give him a sniff all day. I don't think I think Vokes won one header pretty much in the whole game. Coates absolutely dominated him. So I was a bit surprised that we persisted with that. And then later in the game, we stuck Ashley Williams up front in a further attempt to play the long ball. And again, unsurprisingly, it didn't work because other people were winning the ball in the air. I was a bit surprised that we kind of persisted with that and didn't try and run into the channels or turn the defence um, in any way, shape or form. And I kind of guess that comes back to our long-standing problem of not being able to break teams down if they sit in at a block defence against us, which uh, for the last half an hour, basically, Uruguay did. We've sort of got nothing in terms of being able to break them down. Yeah, and, and with all the changes that we made in the last 20 minutes as well, our shape went very weird, didn't it? So yeah. on that on that basis, I, I kind of shelved thoughts about the last 20 minutes or so because... We were, I mean, we were just giving caps at that point, weren't we? Um, I mean, yeah, I, but I, do, you I not, did, do you not think that maybe part of it was he still wanted to win the game? He wasn't making a... I don't think he would have given someone a cap just for the sake of it. I think he was trying to do something to change the game. Um, and I still thought, even if it wasn't those last half, the last half an hour, when we did have a lot of possession, we still had Bale, Wilson, Vokes, you know, on the pitch, Allen, King... People have been starting games for us, and we couldn't break couldn't break them down at all. Yeah, we looked we looked like hesitant but rushed somehow, which seem like they're oxymorons. But yeah, um, but yeah, there was, and I didn't like the relying on the reliance on the long ball. I also there was a period in particularly in the first half where 
Bale was chasing back a lot just to try and get some possession, just to try and get the ball. And then that, that left Wilson and Vokes in particular even more isolated offensively. So um, I think I think there's there's a wider question I wanted to explore with you, which was just the the fact that we've got such a, a riches in the like the front five potentially that my concern about what we were just talking about with a, a five at the back and a, even if it's a sort of wandering left back is that by having five of your 10 players sort of accounted for defensively, you know, if we, if we finally get to a point where we can have Ramsey and Bale and Allen on the pitch together, then suddenly you're only looking at two slots for potentially a lot of offensive weapons. You know, Woodburn, Lawrence, Wilson, Vokes, Hal, King, Brooks. You know, how how are we going to make sure that we're in a position to to utilize what we've got up front in a scenario where we seem to still be quite defensively heavy just from a, a body's point of view? I think that's a good point. I, th- I think long term, I feel like our aim, the point of having the two wing backs, especially when we play the regular formation, if you like, is that they will get around the side of defences and stretch defences and the other attacking players can kind of be in the middle. Um, and that hopefully creates a bit more space for them. So, so as such, it's not a huge problem. The only thing I do think, and I, and I agree with you, in that given that many numbers to our defence, is that if we did only play four at the back, it only gives us an extra slot to go forward and do that. And I don't think we have enough quality players in different roles to be able to kind of accommodate everyone. I think a lot of those players are quite similar. I think Woodburn and Wilson are probably going to have to play as wide players because Rambo's our number 10, unquestionably. You have to play so the, would, the other... So would we be better off with one of those playing notionally in what was Declan John's role against Uruguay? I don't think that would work. I, I think it has to be a more defensive player to be able to fit in and do the defensive duties effectively. Um, and that's, again, why I think that Ben Davis would suit that role because he is obviously a very able defender, but in terms of what he's capable of doing when he's coming forward... I think he could actively contribute to our attacking play in a way that Declan John can't. And to be fair to him, and again, I know it was against you know a step up in opposition, but he didn't do that yesterday. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was able to yesterday, was he? No, and I think that he was is very a... much centre back role yesterday, yeah. and that's what that's remains my concern with that basic scenario. I think if it was him playing where we were playing Declan John yesterday actually moving down the left wing and crossing in the ball the way he does for Spurs, I'd have less concerns about it. Yeah. And maybe this is, you know, maybe perhaps that's the scenario that will grow as we find another central back. You know, maybe maybe Mepham, I don't know, he's, he's obviously well regarded at Brentford, it's going well. Maybe if he's, you know, either they keep threatening for promotion or he gets taken on by a, a premiership team, maybe, maybe there is a centre-back, quality centre-back in the making there. I, and, and I hope so. I'm just aware of the fact that 
we've got the game in in Pasadena coming up, and after the game in Pasadena, we're straight into the Nations League, which I think should be important games for us. I think we should be giving ourselves to have the back door open, if you like, of trying to qualify for the Euros, and then we're straight into the Euro qualifiers. I don't think we've got enough time to get the most out of our attacking players to be waiting for our defensive players to, to become good, if that makes sense. I think, you know, Bale, Rambo are all, you know, at a prime age now. And I think we've got to maximise that rather than saying, well, we'll wait till World Cup 2022 to qualify just in case Chris Meppham becomes a better defender or all that problem gets solved for us, if that makes sense. I don't think that's quite what I said. <laughs> no, no, no. But what, what I mean, what I mean is, how how long do we wait for that? Yeah, and 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 agreed. We could, you know, we're only one injury away from problems anyway, aren't we? So we've we've got to have this. Keeps coming back to a more general plan B. Yeah, um, I totally which agree. I still don't think we have. No, I I totally agree with that, and I think that's fair. I think, to me, the big part of Giggs getting the job was to improve us as an attacking unit. And I think, and appreciate it's only one game, do I think a Chris Coleman team would have beaten China 6-0? I don't think they would have. I think we would have won the game, but I don't think we would have won it in the same way that we did against China. And I, equally, would a Chris Coleman team have beaten Uruguay? Again, we probably would have got the same result as, as we did. So I just don't think that it anything has kind of changed much in, in, a, in a defensive way, but I think it has shown signs of changing in an offensive way. Does that make sense? Ish. <laughs> Obviously, while we're talking about the defence, I'd, I'd like to see more of Connor Roberts. I thought he had a good sort of cameos, shall we say? Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that's fair. To, you know, to come on and make your debut against, uh, you know, in a situation like this, I think was not was not easy. And I think he looks strong and positive and confident. He's a big lad. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think he is someone who has got a, a future and will hopefully be a long-term replacement for, for Chris Gunter. I know we don't want to we don't want to talk about those sorts of things <laughs> just yet, but uh, I, I think I think he, he could well be. Um, and I think it's good that someone like Gunter does have position uh, competition for positions uh, in their role because that's not been the case for a long, long time. So hopefully. You know, Connor Roberts continues to develop and and will play a, a key role for us in the future. Just to move, just to move this on ever so slightly, I think overall it was a very successful tournament for Wales, um, not just in a football sense, but off the pitch as well. Um, overall, what do you see as kind of the the win- winners and losers of the of the trip to China? I, well, if we're looking at the players, I think it did raise put more kind of stoke the fire more about Ashley, Ashley Williams's future. I, I don't think there's a quick or an easy answer to that, but it definitely kind of reinforced the question. Um, aside from the fact that he broke the Caps record, which I think, outfield Caps record, which I think is an amazing achievement, I don't think Gunter had a great couple of games. Oh, In okay. terms of positives, obviously, Wilson and John we've talked about. Um, I thought... King had an excellent couple of games. I know sometimes we've kind of been a bit disparaging about the sort of ordinariness of his game, but I think often that's been because that's what how we've asked him to play. Yeah. Um, he had a, a little bit of 
more freedom, particularly in that China game. And I think I think that suited him well. I think Hennessy probably came out of things quite well, again, just because he, he's cemented that place. Looking at, obviously, you know, there's a few players that got their first caps. It's difficult not to think of that as a positive thing for them either. Uh, but I think on a more a sort of wider wider uh, points, wider impacts, uh, I think anything that feels like tournament football is a plus. Now, these were just two friendlies, but they didn't feel like two friendlies, did they? they you know, they, I think, and everyone took it with a level of seriousness that was much more the case than two random March friendlies usually would get. So I think that's good, clearly. Absolutely. I was uh, desperate to win the China Cup by the end. I was I was almost yeah. in tears watching Godin lift that cup instead of uh, <laughs> instead of Ash. And then clearly Giggs having some... I mean, I think the key plus point for us is Giggs having some time with the group, embedding his changes a little, um, him building some relationships with people, blooding some new players. I think FA Wales were definitely vindicated in terms of accepting the invitation. Um, I think there's the fact that, I mean, I don't quite know what the situation is with Woodburn's calf, but the fact that everybody seems to have come through the games unscathed, I think is is a plus point. I think the fact that the likes of Real Madrid were happy for us to take bail for the window is important as well. Um, Danny Gabadon made a point that I hadn't thought about actually on, on their podcast recently about how it may have suited Real to get some game time into 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 Bale, um, given he's been mostly off the bench with them recently. So so perhaps the timing was helpful for us. No, I there. thought that was a good point that he made as well. I agree with that. Yeah. And then um, I think also some players... Having you know, having some folks tapping on their shoulders a little bit with uh, with some understudies that that doesn't hurt either. Uh, I think also there's you know you look at those pictures coming back from China. You look at the fact that people are starting to recognise Wales. They're starting to understand who we are a little bit. They start folks are joining in in the fun of being part of the red wall and I think Absolutely. that's great you know you look at what was happening in Amsterdam for example and the contrast is, is incredible uh, so I think the fact that we're now you know increasingly recognized on a world stage that's just got to be good for us as a nation I totally agree I just want to just come in there just for a sec and just talk about the FAW and, and the way that mm-hmm. this has gone we have recently given the FAW a lot of support and congratulations when we've been talking to people like Haley because they encouraged her to to sell her her gear at the games um, and I know Tim Williams has been has been part of that as well um, we've also talked about it with the Barry Horns about how they were actively encouraged to take part in things the FAW seem to be very acutely aware of of the fans and their importance at the minute and I don't think there's a thing of treating them like customers as other people do and other clubs especially do. I think there's a real awareness of being able to showcase what Wales and Welsh people are all about. And I did feel that there was a the brilliant thing that was doing the round on Twitter yesterday and the day before, which was the one where Harry Wilson and uh, and Sam Vokes were at like a meet and greet event and people were talking to them about why they loved Wales and some of the things that 
some of the Chinese fans came out with were brilliant. But equally, I thought their ability and willingness to kind of throw themselves into those events. And I don't know if you saw they were doing some sort of kind of funny dance thing that I can't imagine um, Wayne Rooney or or Deli Ali wanting to be involved in. Um, equally, we saw some of our younger players doing coaching sessions as well with young Chinese children. I think it's a fantastic message that Wales and the FAW are kind of sending out to other people, especially if you just look at in British football at the minute. Um, they really are sending out a strong, positive message and and trying to use the Welsh players for good, if you like, in the, in the communities we've travelled to. Equally, a word to our fans, I think Welsh football in years gone by, the Cardiff-Swansea rivalry has been a, a part of being a Wales supporter. I've been to games before where certain players have been booed by our own fans because of the team they play for and equal where there's been infighting between sections of Cardiff fans and Wrexham fans and, and Swansea fans. And it's an incredible turnaround to where we are now, where the Wales fans, I think, feel a responsibility that they too are representing Wales wherever they go. And I think that is part of the work that is being done by the FAW to make it very clear that we are all in this together. We are all representing Wales, be it as a fan, as a player, as a coach, as whatever. And I think huge credit must go to the FAW for that. And like you mentioned, Amsterdam, you know, those England fans behaving absolutely appallingly. Um, Scotland fans booed Alex McLeish's team off in his first game back in charge of the Scotland national team. And we're coaching kids in China, having, you know, our photos taken with the local police force over there. Like it's, it's a very, very different thing. And I think the FAWR, Wales fans, everyone involved should be massively proud of what we've achieved and what a difference I do genuinely feel like we are making uh, and to the, to the way that people see Wales as a nation. Agree. <laughs> uh, sorry, I went off on one a little bit there. Um, no, 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 I agree. I mean, I, have, I had my own similar experience in, in Tanzania recently, which I'm not going to talk about now because we'll, we'll put it out as a, a blog post. Yeah. But, you know, our, our tendrils are extending around the world and I think that's wonderful. I totally agree. Um, and I think everyone involved should be kind of very, very proud. And as a consequence, I think that is one of our biggest, we're talking winners and losers. I agree with everything you've said there pretty much. I think the FAW should come out with huge credit. I think um, the players have handled themselves and performed particularly well. Um, I think Giggs can be very happy with what is achieved and the plans he's trying to put into place. I thought Andy King, I've been very critical of him recently, but I thought he had two great games with a bit more attacking freedom. I thought Harry Wilson obviously comes out with huge credit for the way he performed, uh, especially, like I said, his dead balls were just terrifying to the opposition every time he kind of put a cross in his corner taking was great I thought there were there were a lot of positives the big negative for me and one that I've seen kind of uh, around and about sorry is is Ashley Williams and in a bizarre way Gareth Bale um obviously we're going to come to Bale setting his record later but I've seen in a lot of papers and a lot of things on Twitter are Wales getting the best out of Bale and I find that a really interesting thing. The guy has just become our all-time record goal scorer. Um, you can't really accuse him of being a flat-track bully. I read some of the only five of his games of of his goals have come in friendlies or something like that. A lot of his goals have come in, in important competitive games. Yet, I do see the argument that are we getting the best out of him because if you think about 
our big important games since the Euros. I'm not sure how many games he has kind of when we've needed him to kind of make a difference, that he has made the difference. I think back to Ireland away being a particular example of that. And I know we had Neil Taylor sent off, so I know that's not necessarily the fairest comparison. But I'm using that, and to be clear, none of this is a criticism of Bale. I think it's actually a criticism of the way we play at times. And I hope that this is something that Giggs is going to work on and and tweak. Because I do feel like... You mentioned earlier Bale dropping deeper and away from Vokes to kind of pick up the ball and be involved in the game more. Sometimes he's trying to do his magic and tricks and turns and stuff on the halfway line. If he goes past someone, he's still got another five people to beat. Um, so I do think we do need to... Uh, that is something that we, we need to adjust. Is there, What do you think? Do you think we are getting the best out of him or do you think we do need to make some more changes? I've, I think a lot stems from... The games when we can play Alan, Ramsey and Bale versus the games when we can't. Like if you look at our last three, in inverted commas, must-win games, Portugal, Ireland, I mean, depends how you define yesterday, but Portugal, Ireland and Uruguay. Yeah. We didn't have all three of them on the, on the pitch. That's fair. And I think it shows. I think you reach a point where... Allen has to be embedded, being being very much a defensive midfielder. And then Bale ends up clearly running the show up front, but having to do too much of that, like, ringmaster role yeah. for you to really, really enable him to get sort of adventurous and dynamic. Uh, and I think when Ramsey's there as well, the, the two of them... You know, one, one, at any one time, one of them can be doing that kind of orchestration role and one of them can be doing the, you know, the fizz buzz role. Um, so I, I think that's still fundamentally where, where we struggle is that we're very reliant on the quality of those three players. And when we haven't got all three of them on the field at the same time, there's consequences. No, I think that's a very valid point and I And I could not agree more. I think... For any criticism anyone wants to throw in the in the way of Bale, I would argue with them until my dying day that they're wrong. And I think that you're absolutely right. I think if you look at those must-win games, Portugal, we didn't have Ramsey. Ireland, we didn't have Bale. And then through the game, we didn't have Alan either. Um, and then against Uruguay, as you say, we didn't have Rambo either. And I think if you look at the other kind of must-win games we've we faced or bigger games we've faced recently... We didn't have Bale against Serbia away. That was a big game. Obviously, the Georgia away game, I know obviously we won that as well, but we didn't have him there. If you think of any big team, you take away two of their best players, any team would struggle. Even that Uruguay team yesterday, you take Cavani and Suarez out of that team and they're a totally different proposition. And I think that anyone who wants to lay criticism up Bale or Wales' doorstep is is a little bit unfair because we need to get the three of them together. When we've had the three of them together, I think you can't really argue that they've been brilliant. And I think it is more a case of their injury problems that are the reason why we can't get the best out of any one of the three of them rather than someone's doing something wrong. Where I think Giggs might have a little sway differently than Coleman in this regard is when Bale, like in the Uruguay game, is 
tracking back a bit too much, um, you know, dropping a bit too deep relative to how you want him to play. I kind of get the feeling if Giggs is calling him out on that, it might have a bit more resonance than Coleman calling him out on that. And I don't mean publicly or anything. I mean, you know, just privately. Yeah. In, in, in game reviews and things. Um, that maybe the fact that Giggs, particularly when you think about how he morphed his own play during his career and has an appreciation of both both of those roles, really. And I think he might actually be in a position to sort of almost rein rain bail in a little bit from that tendency at least and and perhaps be better at encouraging him to be to be the adventurous imaginative bail no i think that's a very very fair point and i think but probably one of the reasons that Giggs was given the job was because of stuff like that so he can affect the game more and he can do the things in the right places so that he can, like you say, affect the game and kind of be the the talisman that we we know he is. We will come back to Bale and his record uh, briefly at the end. The the last big thing I wanted to talk about, we talked about winners and losers, was Ashley Williams. I had um, an interesting exchange with someone called Sion uh, on on Twitter yesterday who said uh, that James Chester was getting away with murder, not getting the same sort of criticism that Ashley Williams got. Um about his performance and his role in conceding the goal yesterday. It seems to be kind of a lot of people are going at Ash at the minute, not just for performances for Wales, but also for his club as well. First off, do you think that's fair? And secondly, do you share my view that he is a risk, if nothing else, for Wales? Well, clearly he's not the player that he was. And so, and so we have to plan accordingly. I do, I do think Chester didn't have a, a a great game yesterday, so I can I can I can see why the question was raised, um, and I think I think Ashley's play recently has left him a little bit open as an as an easy target when when something goes wrong. I'm not sure that role that he was given of of like stay on the shoulder of Suarez was necessarily the best role for him to show what he can do either. Uh, so I don't think that was helping just you know in that looking at him in isolation I don't think that helped him I think what you were saying earlier about the rest of the defense having to be really conscious of were they playing in a four were they playing in a three and the and the movement that came from that I think that left us a little bit open to to them firing through the offside trap and that's effectively what happened with the goal wasn't it yeah Um, so I think all in all, I don't think they just play terribly well as a unit. And I think Ashley is the easiest one to flag. Um, and I think that's reflective of the fact that it's a, it's a series of mediocre performances for Wales, bad performances for Everton that, that, that kind of puts him in the firing line. You know, Chester, Chester is playing very well for Villa at the minute. It's the first relatively poor game we've seen in a, in a Welsh shirt for quite a while. So he's he's like in a, a different sort of category, basically, isn't he? In terms, I think how the fans are looking at him. I, I, I think that's fair. I, the the thing I do think as well is I'm happy to give Chester a relative amount of leeway because, as you say, he has been playing well for us and Villa recently. Equally, he was playing against world class opposition yesterday, and I know Asher Williams was as well. 
but against China, who are far from world-class opposition, Ashley Williams was still kind of given the runaround at times a little bit. I agree with you. I think he is making himself a target to the extent that I'm aware, having had this conversation yesterday, that perhaps I do kind of look out for things he's done wrong just to kind of prove myself right. However, he's got this reputation for himself because of the way he has been playing. No one is kind of picking on him for any other reason other than he's not been playing well recently. Um, so I do think the criticism is, is kind of justified and it perhaps does take the heat, rightly or wrongly, off other people like Chester and again like Gunter who I don't think had a particularly great game yesterday. Um, the big problem is, is that there's a vast lack of depth in the, in the opposite to the fact that we seem to have a lot of players who can play in attacking roles or number 10 roles or at least seem to have a future in playing those roles, we don't have that at the back. And I think his biggest thing is for Wales is that he doesn't really have a competition for any for his place at all. And it sort of doesn't matter how many mistakes he makes. He's probably still going to get picked regardless, and I think he knows that. That's a, that's a dangerous thought, though, isn't it? I agree. But I think it's perhaps there's an element of truth in it, unfortunately. All I will say to finish the conversation on Ash is... He has got, in my mind, a huge amount of credit in the bank for the way he has performed for us, not just in our more successful periods where we've qualified for the Euros and we got to the semi-finals, but also in the build-up to that when things weren't great and he was still turning up, he was still performing, he was still an important and influential player. And I think he deserves credit for that. And I think my big worry for all of this for Ash is that I don't want him to lessen his reputation to the extent that he doesn't kind of get remembered by people for all the amazing things he did and for what he helped us achieve. And I think he maybe want to think about retiring himself rather than playing for another four years or so where by a point everyone goes, oh, he's bloody rubbish, Ash. And kind of he sullies his reputation and his, his legacy, I guess, a little bit in comparison to what he has achieved for us, which has been phenomenal. Do you think it's possible that he hasn't made that decision yet because he knows there isn't an, an option? Perhaps. But ironically, he, he knows he, he'd leave us with a hole. Perhaps. And perhaps, you know, we and I am being very harsh on him and maybe he does want to retire and, and Giggs or someone has said to him, look, mate, can you just hang on for one more tournament for me? I've... You know, I've got a dearth at centre half, and I need someone else to come through. Maybe that has happened, and maybe that's true. And he's playing when perhaps he knows that he's past his best. Maybe that's true, and he's doing it to help the country out. And if that's that's the case, then again, I think he deserves credit for that. However, it doesn't detract from the fact that there is a problem there that needs to be solved. That, and it doesn't equally mean that he deserves no criticism for the way he's playing either. Okay. <laughs> Um, do you not agree? I, I do, I do. I just, I just think it's such a complex one, isn't it? Because, like, there's no, there's no, as you say, there's no pressure on someone immediately for that slot. So we're kind, we are kind of where we're at at the minute. And I, and I, I agree with you. I hate the fact that it's kind of what's going on at the minute is sort of sullying what's been a 
pretty incredible career for us, really. And um, he, the, the, he deserves better than what's happening at the minute. Whether he's there, you know, as I was saying, whether he's there because he's helping us out at the minute while we've got this dearth of central defenders or nobody's quite sure how to push him out or or people are just sitting on their hands because there isn't a, an option B. Yeah. Um, but whatever the, the kind of the rationale is, there's there's just got to be a, a more concrete solution. No, and, and, I, and I agree with that. And I think maybe that'll be something on Giggs' mind as he looks towards Pasadena and also the Nations League uh, games. J- just quickly because I'm aware that we're rambling on here. Um, <laughs> just quickly on to the game in California, uh, before I would like to finish talking about Gareth Bale. I assume, given its timing at pretty much the end of the season, that that game in Pasadena is going to now be almost solely an experimental team who are going to go there. I, I would be stunned if Bale, Ramsey, Ben Davis... Ashley Williams, James Chester even maybe. I'd be surprised if they even go. Um, I wouldn't actually be surprised to see Joe Allen go, just because Stoke are having, it's going to be the end of their season and I think maybe Joe might just want to play for play for Dipper a different team and get out of that mindset a little bit maybe. I don't know. I could see Joe Allen going and I could still see people like Chris Gunn to go in as the kind of the more experienced members of the squad and your Andy Kings and people like that. But I, I'm assuming that this is going to become quite an experimental squad and team for, for Giggs. I think the fact that these two games in Nanning were taken so seriously is, is also an indication that the game in Pasadena may well be planned as a, a sort of more old-fashioned, end-of-season friendly. Yeah. Um, with an opportunity to have a bit of squad time um, take some of the fringe players, and, and perhaps it is an option to look at the, whatever our plan B might be yeah. in that in that scenario. Um, I also think the fact that the the Mexicans will be looking very pointedly towards the World Cup, so they're going to have players who are no perhaps know they're on the plane to Russia, but are not necessarily confident of being in the starting eleven who will be pushing really hard in that game. And I, and they're a combative team at the best of, you know, at the best of times. And I think they're going to be particularly fired up at that point. So also not sending some of our uh, more injury prone players might be a good option as yeah. well. I think just to add to that, I think that um, I, in terms of their squad, I, I think it actually, I think this will be like a provisional squad for this game. And then they kind of will cut it down after after this game. So I, I do think the Mexicans will have, you know, a lot of fire in them, as you say, and they are quite a combative team. But I also think for people like, you know, we talked about Chris Maxwell before, like that's when he's going to get his game time. And we talked about Connor Roberts, that's when he's going to play and Mepham and Lockyer. And those are the people I expect now who are kind of the next tier, if you like, of, of players who are coming through to kind of get their game time. Brooks, Woodburn, um, Obviously, I know Ampadu's going to be injured, but those sort of players, uh, Wilson as well, who who are kind of on the fringes, if you like, to give them an opportunity to to add a few more caps and develop their CV playing for Wales. I see it as that sort of thing. As you say, I totally agree. It'll be a an old-fashioned, if you like, end-of-season friendly sort of game. And I think it should be. I think we need that, particularly having not used China for those purposes. I think... I think 
that that type of frenzy does have a purpose and uh, it seems like an opportune moment uh, to use that game in that way. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. Can we just touch on the Nations League briefly, Dave, before we talk about Bale and Gunter? Yeah. Because um, having seen, like, basically these sort of non-friendly friendlies that we had in, in China, I think it validates that the change that UEFA have made in terms of putting more competitive games into the schedule and reducing friendlies. Uh, I think it, it promises to be actually quite an exciting autumn, doesn't it? I definitely agree with that. I think you can see, just even if it is a China Cup on offer at the end, the difference it makes in people's desire. And I think that the fact that we've got a an opportunity to get to the, the back door, if you like, for the Euros... I think is a big incentive, especially for a country like ours. So presumably the because the draw for the qualifiers is in December, it's after the that round of Nations League games have finished, then obviously our rank you know, you want to be playing well because you want your ranking up so that you're in the appropriate pot for the draw in December as well. Good point. I hadn't thought of that. That's a very good point. Plus I think we're in a in a format where I think we're capable of beating the other two teams in our group. I don't think it'll be easy, but I think we're capable. And I think we've got every chance of getting through to the to the playoff format. And I think that is a huge benefit to us. Again, big thing for Giggs to be able to hang his hat on in that, you know, that we've done well in that group and we've already got our backdoor um, entry to the tournament sorted. And I think he will be grateful that, he has this opportunity as well. Yep. The last thing we wanted to touch on was uh, Bale and Gunter. Chris Gunter has played more games as an outfield player now than any other Wales player, and I'm, and I'm sure he's going to go on and become our all-time most capped player. I know Ruth has a, a massive crush on uh, on Chris <laughs> Gunter. Um, so as I have a massive crush on Gareth Bale, I will, mm. I will let you compliment Chris Gunter. So I think the obviously the numbers and the and the number of caps and the fact that he still only is in his late twenties speak for themselves. But I think the particular connection that the Red Wall and Wales fans have with Chris Gunter can't be underestimated. And I think just the sheer joy that he clearly takes in representing his country, but in representing us is I think that's what we hook into as as supporters, isn't it? It's just it's like having one of one of our lads on the field, uh, and uh, I think that makes it all the all the more special to to see him being this successful. I could not agree more. I think he's a he is what Welsh football is all about to me. Someone who just wants to play for their country, is proud to play for their country, enjoys playing for their country, and I think will turn up and go to any tournament, any game, anywhere, if it means he can he can represent his country. Aside from Chris Gunter, Gareth Bale also broke a record when we were in China. He became our top goalscorer of all time, beating Ian Rush's record. Gareth Bale has scored 29 goals in 70 appearances for Wales, which doesn't seem a huge goals-per-game ratio. The fact that he started as a left-back and has moved up the field and got those caps when he was such a young player. If you take that into account, that it's, I think it actually adds to his achievement that he's played so many times for Wales. 
he's developed so much as a player and playing for Wales still means so much to him uh, and has now become our all-time top goalscorer. If you think about the person who he's beaten, Ian Rush, out-and-out goalscorer, did nothing for his whole career other than try and score goals. He was never a defender. He was never trying to do anything else other than score goals. Bale, on the other hand, has developed his game and changed his game and has become a goalscorer. And even now, he still doesn't kind of play up front in inverted commas. He is, I think, probably the most talented athlete Wales maybe have even ever produced. So I'm sure someone could give me a, a good list of, of, of names to come back on that. But I can't think of anyone off the top of my head, with a possible exception of John Charles, who has won what he's won, who has done what he's done, both for his club career, but also been able to translate that into his international career. Not only that, but he seems to do it with a smile on his face. He loves playing for Wales. He loves being around the Wales team. I think he is a very, very special player and person and athlete. And I think we should be very grateful that we have someone like Gareth Bale who can who can represent Wales so well. I'll just add, as someone who got to see Ian Rush in his pomp, um, I think that in some respects that makes the Bales record all the more impressive because to score more goals in marginally less games when Ian Rush was the quality striker that he was, I mean, he's he was incredible. And so to have overtaken him, I think, just gives Bale's achievement all the more kudos. Well, on that uh, very complimentary note, I think we will finish. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. I just want to give a few uh, plugs to things that are coming up before we finish, actually. Ruth has been away in Tanzania on a trip recently and has unfortunately injured herself in the process, has broken her ankle, which is why we're doing this remotely again. She has written a great blog about her time in Tanzania and the impact that Wales has had uh, on the people she met in Tanzania. And that will be released very shortly after this podcast as a blog. Equally, Ruth has written a brilliant blog, well, more article, I suppose, really, on uh, Billy Meredith who, if we think as Bale as being one of our most talented characters, I think we can call Billy Meredith one of our most interesting characters. That article and that blog will be released as a, as two parts, I think we're going to go for in the coming weeks. So please uh, keep your eye out for those uh, two brilliant articles that Ruth has written. Again, thank you very much for listening, and we hope you enjoyed our podcast. Uh, we have several ways that you can be in touch. Uh, they are Coleman Had a Dream at Outlook.com, on Twitter at Coleman's underscore Dream, or Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash Coleman Had a Dream. Please also keep an eye on our blog for regular updates, blogs, comments, and that is Coleman's Dream dot WordPress dot com. Thank you very much for listening.